Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. We are on episode number 16. And today we are interviewing a very good friend of mine. I've known him for many, many years, AJ Frey. He is an SEO specialist and uh, technician. He owns the company Rad Websites. Uh, He obviously builds websites as well. And we dive deep into SEO uh, content and how to get your business ranked on Google. So if you want to know all about SEO, this is the episode for you. Hi, AJ. How's it going? Good, Joel. How are you? Um, Excellent. So I want to start off, you were just in the news on CBC and I think a couple other newspapers about your animal food bank. Can you tell me what that is and why you started it? Absolutely. I'm happy to. Uh, The Animal Food Bank is a project that my wife and I started just before Christmas last year. Um, We were downtown Kelowna and uh, and she she saw this guy on the street with with this dog and she loves dogs. And so she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to go pet that dog. So she ran across the street and, and, and talked to the guy and pet the dog and, of course, made best friends with the dog and, and still remembers the dog's name to this day. It was Odin. Um, and, you know, we went home and she was actually really, really, you know, fraught and, and, and distraught about how he fed his animal and not with any judgment, but just like that must be really difficult. I, I, I wish I could help him. Um, and so you know, we, we had a few good conversations about what we could do. And uh, all of a sudden, we were starting an animal food bank. Uh, it took off really, really quickly before Christmas, because that's a tough time for everybody. And, um, you know, we had a fairly, fairly good static growth, I guess, in, in the Okanagan region. And, and then COVID hit. And we had a surprisingly friendly COVID model. Uh, we then ended up in a partnership with the SPCA out in BC, uh, and then as well as the Ontario SPCA. Um, Smucker's Jam has made donations. Um, it's been really amazing. Um, then from there, we went back to Winnipeg. This was pre-COVID and expanded out uh, to Winnipeg, so then we were covering the Okanagan uh, as well as, as, as part of Manitoba. Um, and again, an area that is really making good use of the food bank and, and the programs that we've set up. Um, Nicole has an operations background, and so she's set it up in a way that runs it as a business as opposed to a charity. Um, but everybody's donations that come in, if you make a donation um, of $100 to the Animal Food Bank, every single cent of that donation is actually spent on food. Uh, for an animal and she goes as far as itemizing receipts for people who've made donations and sending them back saying this is who you helped here's a picture of the dog 
Um, um, she's, she's really made it quite a, a cool experience um, for everyone from the volunteers through to, um, you know, the, the volunteer admin team, which is basically me and her. Um, the community has really shown its love and, and support um, and in all areas, um, we just expanded out into Calgary and in all areas, the community is, has really rallied and gone, um, yes, let's do this. And so um, we're seeing donations come in, we're seeing lots of requests for help come in. Um, and at any given time, we're, God, I, don't, I don't even know, I think we've put through more than 20,000 pounds of food um, to animals in need and families in need to help their animals um, since December and that number is growing so um, yeah it's it's been a cool cool project that continues to grow and expand and it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Uh, so what um, response have you had from the community I guess locally and in BC? Um, it's been outstanding from, from day one. The, the community wants to help. Um, neighbors want to help neighbors, and that's been amazing. Uh, and you're recently expanding it. You, I think you're, you're building, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're building two new sites um, kind of based on the Animal Food Bank. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, sure. You're getting an exclusive here. Nice. I am. Yeah. Um, um, part, of, part of what we're doing um, is... is you know, trying to really grow a network of support for people with their pets um, and what happens in real life. And currently, um, there is, a, you know, a need, I think, for fostering for people who actually are going through something in their personal life, but they want their pet back. And that may be something addictive, addiction related. Uh, that could be something medical where they've got to be in the hospital for surgery and, you know, some, some recovery time. Um, right now, if you, if you go down to any of the, the current organizations and say, I'm going through something, they make you surrender your pet. Um, and for a lot of people, their pet is their emotional support. It's their best friend. It's a member of their family. Um, and so in order to you know, take care of a surgery or deal with personal demons or whatever you're going through, a lot of people will choose not to and continue to live with their pet because it has so much meaning. And so we're trying to put together a couple of organizations that allow people, I can't share the URLs just yet, we'll have to do a follow-up podcast for yeah. that, um, but that allow people to, um, one, say, hey, I need help, um, and fill out a form saying, this is when I need help. And oftentimes it'll be instantaneous. I mean, if the police show up at your house because you're in an abusive relationship and you need to get out and it's you and your cat sitting on your front porch, you need somebody to show up and take your cat so that you can be escorted by the police to where you need to go to be safe um, and know that you'll get your pet back. So we want to make that something that uh, Canadians can um can look forward to, I guess. It takes a load off knowing that your neighbor or somebody in your community is gonna look after your animal and that when you've gone through what you're going through, you're gonna come home and your best friend is gonna be here. For sure, yeah. I think for most, for a lot of animal lovers, I don't know for most, but their pets are definitely their, their best friends, right? And they, they have such an emotional attachment to them. 
I know we are looking after a dog, uh, just a friend's dog, and we are so attached to this this dog. And um, every you know every every time it's like, when is he coming back? When is he coming to visit? Right. So, you know, pets are are amazing, and they're such a, you know they're so such treasures. Really, I think. So I I mean I agree. Yeah. Um, moving on to I guess the reason why we have you on the show is you are the owner of rad websites, which is the most amazing name. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks man. Before. Uh, <laughs> but can you tell, tell us what the genesis of, uh, of your company is? Why, and why, why did you choose that name? Um, we've been around for a long time and we've done a lot of hard work for a lot of different people. Um, and we stayed hidden for a while <clears throat> and it was on purpose because we were trying to make sure that our clients were getting the best of our work and the best of our attention. And so when a client would say to me, why can't I find your stuff on Google? I'd say, cause I'm working on making sure they can find your stuff on Google. And I said, when I want to be found on Google, <laughs> I'll, I'll start working on my own stuff. And and literally, I, I, I worked that way for seven years where I, I was a, a small agency, just uh, me and, and a couple of friends uh, working away. And as we grew, um, it, it just kind of morphed and, 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 and changed. And so uh, I decided that um, I would own it. Um, and instead of, of hiding and going, um, you know, you can find us over here at this specific URL, which is a mistake a lot of people make online is I have a cool URL, but only people who know it can find my business. Um, we decided to just hit it on the nose and, and, and say what we're good at. And we're rad at doing websites and we're rad at doing marketing and SEO. And so I, I did a quick check to see if we could uh, have rad websites and, and there it was. And so we, we, we ran with it and we've had a great, great response. Our clients love it. Uh, we've got a, I think a cool, fun attitude online, um, but we can actually go the distance and do the ultra, ultra professional websites that uh, enterprise level clients are looking for and professionals are looking for. Um, and yet we won't shy away from the mom and pop shops who are on a budget and still need something online. We want everybody to have not a good website, not a cool website, but a rad website. Um, and so that's what we strive to do for everybody, uh, regardless of whether you have the most exciting content in the world or you're selling mortgages and it's really dry content, we can, we can give you that boost that you need to set yourself apart online. Yeah, I think the difference uh, that I see, and, and, and I think, I mean, you, you said it brilliantly is you, you give the client a fun and exciting and not too serious, but still go the extra mile for them. So it's, it's not super serious, but it's, it's, it's fun and it's a fun process for them to go through. Awesome. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's my, my take on it for sure. Um, I mean, and so you don't come from um, a marketing background per se. You come from, uh, quality assurance if if i'm um if i remember correctly can you tell me about like how did you get into building websites and how did you get into marketing and 
and what drew you to this this line of work? It's it's interesting because technology has been a lifelong pursuit. I've been been you know playing with computers since I was a little kid, and I was in the '80s when no little kids were playing with computers yet. Um, and and then, like you said, as I I grew up, I ended up working in the energy sector um, at a technology company, and the focus was quality assurance and automation for several years. Uh, and so I got very very good at knowing what user experience should be like what the end user is going to accept and not going to accept as far as look and feel goes and workflow um, which it proves invaluable in the in, in the online space for web design and marketing um, as well as um, just learned how to put good intricate systems together um, what ended up getting me into websites and marketing was I actually um, kind of hit a glass ceiling with quality assurance and automation. Uh, I was working at an executive level and had a team of 22 people and loved every single one of them. And <clears throat> when I went to talk to the, the president and the vice president of the company and say, you know what, our website is terrible. <laughs> and I know we have an internal team and I know I'm not part of it, but I'd like to be. Let me, let me take this over. This is what I want to learn and do next um, was, was doing their marketing and their website. Um, and I'd always had really, really um, good success with this company um, in what I was delivering and what I put out. And so they let me basically jump into whatever projects I wanted to historically. And I was about year eight, year nine in, into working with them and said, this is what I want to do. And they're like, no, no, you're too good at the quality assurance and automation. We, we, we don't want you working on the website. We'll just leave that there. Uh, so I abruptly quit my job <laughs> and started a web development company and taught myself everything about designing websites uh, and, and started doing everything myself uh, originally out of the gate. Uh, I had a friend that I had met on a trip to Guatemala um, and we had come up with a genius idea of, of a way to um, really uh, work around the clock together because we were in different time zones. And so we worked together on the very, very first iteration of what became RAD. Um, uh, years ago, it was called Plur, and it was with my buddy Gregor Zavser um, over in Slovenia. Um, but, but we used to basically just hand off a baton, so I would work all day um, on a project, and then we had four hours of crossover work. And then he would work what was my all night, but his all day, and then we had four hours of crossover work. And so... We found we could deliver on projects where the scope of, of, of work was, you know, fairly large and the time frame was three months and we'd get it done in two and a half weeks. Um, and clients were like, how'd you do that? And I'm like, we're working around the clock. Quite literally. Um, and so quite literally. Yeah. yeah. And so <clears throat> Gregor went on to develop several cryptocurrencies um, and is doing a lot in, in the European Union to progress technology and banking, and it's, it's really quite amazing. Um, and, and I stuck with, with the web development and then got into the marketing side of things because making a pretty website is one thing, uh, but making a pretty website that people can find is what's really important. And so I spent years working with uh, a few very, very top-notch professionals, um, one of whom is you, <laughs> um, and, and learned well, you. Every, everything I could, could learn about how, um, how online marketing works 
And, you know, I've been working with it in a lot of different ways for a long time because I've always played with technology. So <clears throat> I go as far back with SEO as being able to just add and remove a space on somebody's website and qualify that as a change that Google likes to see. Um, and I remember being so sad when they changed that. So I was <laughs> yeah, like, what, what so do easy. I do now? <laughs> right? Oh, man, like I had written a script that took care of it for everybody. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I had to log into everybody's stuff. Um, and so it's, it's come a long way, and, and they're always changing everything. And now, you know, I subscribe to most of the Google updates. I know when they're making their algorithm changes so that I can, you know, tell clients to brace for things that are about to happen online um, and that even though their SEO report this month might say they've dropped dramatically, everybody on the internet may have dropped dramatically that month. Um, we've had, I think I'd say unprecedented success with most of our clients. Um, they allow us to do the work that we're good at so that you know, we can generate revenue for them and find the clients that allow them to do the work they're good at. Um, and so most of our clients get out of our way. And, and when we say this is what needs to be done, they go, great, let's do that. Um, and oftentimes we'll even uh, override clients on decisions that they think they want. Um, because just because you think you want this doesn't mean anybody else actually does. Um, and the trick is making sure you're doing what everybody wants, not necessarily what you want. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine line and a fine dance. Um, I find with web design and with marketing, it's the most um, interesting way I've found to be creative in the technical space um, without being like an image manipulation specialist or something like that. Um, I like that, you know, um, what I envision for a client with a client is what we can end up delivering. Uh, and I joke often, um, if you remember, uh, hit my ride with exhibit, <laughs> I joke often that we're like that. I have a team of amazing people. Uh, someone comes to me and says, this is our idea. This is what we want to do. We sit down, we scope it out with them. We go, this is what we're going to take your website from, and we're going to make it look like this. And then they go, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then I literally get out of the way and hand it off to my incredible team. Um, they take the gauntlet, they come back, and I have the honor of running back to the client and going, look what we did for you. Um, and, and they're always blown away by, by what we've done. And we, most of our feedback is, oh, my God, my website is red. <laughs> and so... That brings us full circle back to how we got our name. Nice. Uh, what sort of technology did you tinker with as a kid? What, what stands out? Oh, the thing that stands out the most to me was, was actually learning to code when I was a child. Um, and so the very first thing I, very first computer I had was a Commodore 128. So it was, you know, right around the Tandy and the Commodore 64, but it was the new, like, super memory computer because it had 128 kilobytes of memory. <laughs> Woo! Um, and what happened is I was, I think it was eight years old. Um, and my parents went out on like a date and we had a babysitter and she was upstairs doing her homework all night. And the floppy disk drive on the front of like the box mm -hmm. that was part of the thing didn't close. And I was really upset because I wanted to play my little, uh, there was like this roller coaster race car game back in the day. 
and I wanted to play it and I couldn't. And so I, I went down to the basement and I got dad's tools and I took the entire $10,000 brand new Commodore 128 apart and had it on the floor in like 10,000 pieces. Um, and my parents came home at like 11 or 12 o'clock at night and of course lost their minds, right? Because as a child, you can't fathom what $10,000 is, but it's a lot of money. Um, and, and so I just knew that I had upset my parents. And so after they yelled, in, yelled at and promptly fired the babysitter, um, um, I, I snuck out of bed after they went to bed and put everything back together. Now, all that ended up being wrong with the floppy drive was like a little rubber runner had come off the thing. And so by the time I got that back on, everything worked. Um, they got up in the morning and it was all like a bad dream, right? The computer was sitting back on the desk. It totally worked. I was all like, what? <laughs> Nothing happened last night. Um, then I spent the rest of my childhood in computer camp. Um, and computer camp in the 80s was some guy who knew more about computers than some other guy. There wasn't a lot, right? So um, I tended to kind of run around my teachers a little bit. Um, and, and that was always fun because I was always like, why am I in this class? Why am I in this class? Um, and then I got a tutor when I was probably 10 or 11 to learn to code in GW and GW basic. Um, so I'd sit around and make my computer talk to the house and I like booby trap my bedroom with like little radio transistors that I connect to the computer so that if a wire broke, the computer would scream. <laughs> Your parents could never figure out how to shut it off, that stuff. Um, and then, um, like a normal teenager, I, I, uh, you know, I did my homework on computer. I was one of the first kids in school who was allowed to do that because my handwriting was atrocious. Uh, so my parents fought with the school to be able to have me do my homework and type it up because it was all okay data printers and dot matrix back in the day and so it was always like your sister clearly did your homework and it's like no I did it I can type um, so as a teenager I ignored most of my technical gifts just because I was out being a teenager um, and when I was in my early 20s I had a uh, I had moved out to Vancouver and had a job washing boats on Granville Island um, <clears throat> and I kept noticing all these really rich people would just take computers off their boats and throw them in this dumpster and I was like what and this is right around the time of LimeWire and everybody getting their emails it was like 90 i don't know 6 97 in that area and and uh um and so i started dumpster diving at the end of my shift and pulling out motherboards and chipsets and ram and taking them home um and and built this frankenstein machine on like my desk at home and then my friends managed to uh um figure out what I was doing they come over and they're like what's that and I'm like watch this I can download music online and they're like shut up that's a computer because <laughs> I didn't have a case right everything just sat on my desk the power supply was plugged into the motherboard there's just wires everywhere um, and then so through from 20 to 28 I or 24 I'd say to 28 I basically did IT work and, and built computers for people um, um, friends and family, again, not knowing the value of the knowledge that I actually had, right? I'd build your computer, you'd make me dinner. I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, when I was around 28, I got into quality assurance and automation. So it's been a lifelong journey of all the different things in technology uh, that have caught my attention. 
Um, and, and the last 10 years has been my favorite in the, in the web design and, and the marketing online. That's really cool. That's a really cool story. Thanks for sharing that. Have you always wanted to do your own thing and become an entrepreneur? I hate being told what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and As so, most entrepreneurs do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't realize this until I had a few jobs <laughs> and I'd get, you know, it would always really get under my skin because these people would be like, I just didn't like the way people talked to other people generally. Um, and, and, uh, and so when people would be like, you need to do this, I'd be like, I, I really don't. Um, and, and that got me into more trouble than, than I thought. Um, I've, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart, but I don't think I recognized it until I was in my uh, probably late 30s. Um, that's when I was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I've been doing this for a long time and I really want to do this, um, do this well. Um, and so that was when I decided, like I said, I left the job that I had and went all in to, I'm, I'm going to do web design and marketing, uh, and, and hopefully it works. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm here nine years later, it's working. So yay. <laughs> um, and interestingly enough, this is a fun story too. Some of the, the people that I used to work with who, no interest in having me in web design or marketing have since come back to me and asked for web design and marketing help. Um, and so I, I kind of find that super sweet. <laughs> it's kind of like a full circle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's turn to the marketing. Um, what, Quick. you know, we, uh, we talked about SEO, I believe, briefly, what is, can you explain what SEO is and why it's important? Sure, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. So SEO stands for search engine optimization. Um, and basically to, to make it simple, it's uh, telling Google where to find you. Uh, I used to joke that uh, I'm just a glorified librarian. So if you let me pick the title of your book and where to put it in the library, everybody will find it. Um, and, and that's, that's really what Google is. Google's a giant library and, and, and SEO is really the Dewey decimal system of the future. It's how we catalog and or organize the internet. And so what are some things that companies can do? Um, you know, obviously they, they know that this is important, um, but that maybe they're, they're not ready to hire a marketing agency like yourself. Is there stuff that they can do by themselves to boost their Google ranking? So there's a lot of, of out of the gate things that you can actually do to set yourself upright. Um, the best and I think most valuable one is choosing a name that's relevant to what you're doing. Um, if you're, you know, in the flower business, um, don't call yourself Daisy's Daisies. It might sound super clever and your name might be Daisy and you might love it. Um, but if Vancouver Flowers is available or BC Flowers is available, that's going to give you that edge over Daisy's Daisies um, where you're going to actually, without doing a lot of work, you're going to at least sell one more thing of flowers than Daisy's Daisies ever will because people are going to type in <clears throat> to Google I'm looking for flowers in this area before they're going to type into Google. I'm looking for daisies, daisies. Um, that being said, daisies, daisies is a perfect client for us because they've already named their business. 
Um, and so coming up with a marketing strategy of how they actually capture, I need all the flowers in British Columbia or Alberta, um, is what we're really, really good at. But um, if you're just starting out and you want to give your business an edge, um, just you know, do some consulting and, and find a great domain name. Don't pay a lot for it. I'm not saying go out and spend $5,000 on a domain name. Um, there's still a lot of really good domain names available for Canadians. Um, and, and so spend, spend, you know, 150 bucks on a consultant to buy you a domain name that's going to cost you 100 or 150 bucks. Um, and that's really going to give you that jumping off platform that you're looking for without hiring a marketing what are some of the biggest mistakes you see? I mean, I think you mentioned one, but I mean, you know, the hundreds of clients, probably thousands um, that you've seen, what are, what are the biggest mistakes they've made and how do you go about fixing them? Uh, that's a great question. Um, what are the biggest mistakes that are made? I think some of the biggest mistakes that are made um, are literally through client inexperience and so that'll probably resonate with a lot of people because I think anybody over the age of 50 has a slight uh, fear of technology if if you tell me or anybody younger than me to go do something online they're gonna go do that if you tell anybody older than me to go do something online it's become a chore and it's gonna stress them out um, and so some of the biggest mistakes I think I've seen people make in my age group and above um, is literally just blindingly accepting what they're told um, at an agency. I always encourage people to, to talk to us and then talk to two or three other companies to really feel out what their needs are because just because I resonate with you on the phone and, and, and we're a good fit doesn't mean that I'm the best agency to run your project. And I want my clients to want to work with us as bad as we want to work with them. So I want them to not make the mistake of just blindly trusting. I want them to actually go out and, and contact some, some competition um, so that, you know, they, they get a feel for, for what they're getting with us versus what they're getting with somebody else and make the best choice for them. And content obviously plays a big role in uh, SEO. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What sort of content should be put out um, to help with SEO? Absolutely. So SEO is a, is a huge beast, um, as you know, and um, part, of, part of it is the behind-the-scenes massaging of, of helping people, um, you know, find your, find your site and find your content. And so in that comes the content strategy. The content strategy is literally deciding where your audience is and what your keywords for your business are. What this does is this helps us to basically come up with uh, article titles that your audience is looking for. Um, so if you give me the keywords for uh, of, of roofing and, and Vancouver and affordability and trustworthy, I can come up with a number of different variations on those um, where we're talking now about affordable roofing in BC, affordable roofing in whatever geolocated area we want, or just affordable roofing. Um, we may have the domain affordable roofing, and so now we've got that plus our articles that we're going to write around. Um, you know, this is this is why um, it's good to use our agency. We're affordable, we're trustworthy, and we're capturing those keywords. 
Um, and this is an ongoing process. Basically what happens is we capture 10 keywords, we come up with maybe 100 different titles of articles that a uh, client could be writing. They'll capture anywhere from say 10 readers a month to um, upwards of 1,000. Um, and those are the big fish, the upwards of 1,000 are rare. Um, but those articles, once published um, and optimized, pull in those users month over month. So if you spend $150 on an article and it's pulling in 10 users a month, you're pulling in 120 users a year for that $150. So you're paying, you know, $1.10 per lead. If, if you get an article in there that's going to pull in 100 or 1,000 users and they find a big fish, it's pulling in that month over month for you. So if you publish 12 articles a year that just say 10 of them are uh, 10 users a month and two of them are 100 users a month, um, you're, you're really pulling in a huge amount of users by the time you're starting your second year of SEO. You're looking at close to four or 500 users a month and you're still publishing. Um, so this increases. Uh, we have <clears throat> all kinds of uh, secret sauce and tips and tricks that go into it, but one thing I do like to tell people is that publishing is a cumulative thing as well, uh, where you're, you know, everything you're spending, you're spending and investing in your business and it's going to come back. And so after say two or three years of publishing, let's actually say two, we have a year's worth of articles and we're starting our second year's worth of articles. Well, we can look back at our original year's worth of articles and we can go, Hey, is it time to update these? And then we can, republish those articles and so now we're publishing two a month one updated and one new and this catalyst again carries on with those users we're increasing our user base month over month and by year three and year four we're running you know four or five articles a week three of them are updates two of them are new we've really made it difficult for anybody else in this area um, and we're speaking about roofing right now so now we've made it difficult for anybody else to come into the roofing area without spending a lot of money to try and keep up with our publishing schedule that's happening organically. And we're publishing new articles still one or two a month. Um, so because you know, you get to a point where you've been doing it for long enough, you, you literally control that piece of the internet if you've done it right. Um, and as long as you update and maintain your content, Google will keep sending users there for, for the answers they're looking for. What role does, um, I guess, time play in SEO? Time plays a really interesting role because depending on the content, so if you're uh, you know, publishing the trailers for movies that are coming up this week, uh, the timeline on your, your SEO is literally weekly um, and you need to be publishing and optimizing and sending all the exact right signals to Google so that as a user, I can sit at home and watch the movie trailers I want to see this week and make a decision about which movie I want to go to. Um, if, you're, if you're doing something um, more long-term where you're just trying to draw clients in to convert it into a store or come see you at your office for services, um, your timeline's a little longer because you're actually, even the, the movie site has had to set up and establish themselves as the movie site. The setup and establish process is where most people get scared and drop SEO. It's generally a nine to 14 month process. 
um, where Google's not even paying attention to what you're doing until month nine. At month nine, Google's like, hey, they've put out nine articles this, this year and, and they're still doing it. I'm, I'm gonna keep checking out their site. And now all of a sudden, you know, Google's, Google's paying attention. And if you continue to um, do, do the things they like and, and, um, and adjust, um, it, it, it works in your benefit very quickly. Um, but it does take, like you said, a good deal of time to get that set up and going. And that's why at the end of the first year, like I said, it can get exciting because even though you may not have seen a lot of forward momentum in your setup, your following year, you're publishing two articles now while just continually buying one new one and Google's paying attention. And so now you're getting some traction and you're starting to get those conversions and, and you're starting to make new strategic decisions with us on, oh, well, I want, I want leads and I would like to actually um, you know, talk to people. Maybe part of what you want to do is engage people on social media um, in order to, to buy your product or service. Um, and so the, the lead conversions from SEO can be targeted to send that stuff really to any landing page, um, any part of your website, uh, anything that you need to generate user awareness for. I think that's really great information for sure. So you hire a whole bunch of writers to help with, out, with the content, you know, me being one of them. Um, what do you tell your writers to think about in terms of, you know, how long these articles should be, how, how many keywords they should have in them, and, you know, what sort of uh, content uh, should they be producing? Fair enough. Good question. We actually, you know, specify depending on what the client has requested for a package, uh, but a general package is approximately, you know, 10 keywords for the business that we're going to target. Um, and we're generally going to write about a year's worth of articles, thousand words a piece, and that's 12 articles. And that's literally so that the owner of the business doesn't have to worry about a publishing schedule or anything like that. We handle it all. So it's very seamless. Um, and then I tell um, my very, very talented team of writers, um, whom you are one of, um, to basically sit down and, and, and interview the client. Um, <clears throat> find out, we try and extract the essence of, of what the client views their business or idea as, um, because that is what enables us to uh, speak as them and present as them online. Uh, and I think through years of, of experience and practice, uh, we've, we've become very, very good at that, uh, especially you and I. Um, that's why, you know, for the most part, when we're doing the, the client research and evaluation, uh, it's you or me, so that when we're setting up those campaigns, uh, we're, you know, already in that creative space where we're like, this is what the client wants to project, and I'm going to help them project that. Uh, and you know, <clears throat> I think we should actually pat ourselves on the back here. We're, we're very good at what we do. Um, and, and we have a very, like I said, very talented team. You're, you're the lead. Um, and, and for anybody who doesn't know this, and I'm sure most of your podcast audience knows Joel's a published author and clients love hearing that we have a published author on, on staff. Joel is also a, a, a journalist. Um, and, and a writer and he, and he loves it. And so, 
he's in his element in the space that we have him with clients. And then to complement that, we also have another journalist, um, Miriam, who's working with us and, and, you know, she's a, a writer and she's published as well. And that level of professionalism is something I think most people who are writing their own blogs or hiring a company that just fires out articles uh, to write their blogs is missing is that personal this is who um, who's actually conveying the message and, and we're, we're good at it. and so thank you for helping us be good at it. well thank no thank you um, I appreciate <laughs> those those words I think um, if I can add that most uh, marketing companies they deal with the technical side and they leave the content to the client. And, and I think that's to their detriment because the client doesn't really know he's, he or she is too busy running their business, getting sales and all that. But having a team of quality writers, I believe makes all the difference. And I, I think that's what makes uh, rad really rad is, is yeah. that, you know, that's part of it for sure. Um, there's other parts, of course. Awesome. And I think too, thank you for saying that, but I think too, part of what we're really good at is understanding that clients get busy. And so I won't, and you won't, and I don't think anybody on our team will actually wait for a client response longer than a couple of days before we'd action something um, at an executive decision level and gone, this is what we're going to do for that client. Um, um, you, you can attest many times over the years where we've published unapproved articles for clients that they've come back six months later and gone, oh, hey, I'm ready to read those articles. And we're like, well, we've already got Google's attention because we've been publishing for six months. Let's update those articles now and carry on. And so um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Edit that part out, it was terrible. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm a roofing company. I'm uh, ready to start marketing. I'm ready to, to start uh, SEO. What I come to you, what are sort of the first steps uh, you take to, uh, to engage me? Um, well, basically the first steps... Um, Prior to COVID, we're always let's sit down and have a coffee or a lunch and, and meet. But with COVID now, we're doing things a little differently. Uh, we have an intake form um, that we've developed over the years uh, through several um, different intake forms that we've kind of used and, and made this, this really great, like basically 12 questions that once a client answers, we can start researching, we can start thinking like them because we, we've found what they like and what they don't like and we've, you know, conceptualized that. Um, and so that's, that's the first piece. Then from there, basically, um, what I do is I try and take that information and take um, whatever interview process we've had, and I come up with kind of the master design of this is what that client wants their site to look like, whether they know it or not. In 10 years, I've only missed the mark twice. And so, again, I like to pat myself on the back for that. Really annoys me when I miss the mark. Um, but I'm, I'm really good at, at getting a feel for this is what this client wants to present. <clears throat> so once that's done, then basically I say to the client, um, I need your help um, in these areas on your website. So if you'd like to give me this information, great. If not, 
we can actually just research the information and have you verify it. So then the client goes, okay, cool. You know what? I'm really busy. Can you guys do it for me? We go, sure. So then we fill out their content and we, we build their site, generally a three to five page site. That's ideal for Google. You can get away with a one pager, but you're going to want to grow that. Um, <clears throat> we set, as you know, everybody's foundation and base up so that they're scalable and growable and that we never have to say to a client, oh, sorry, we didn't build your site to do that. If you decide two years from now that you need a store on your website, guess what? We can put a store on your website and you don't have to rebuild the whole thing. If it's been up for two years, you might want to do a bit of a redesign. <laughs> but again, your site is built to handle scalable growth, accelerated growth, marketing growth, e-commerce growth, whatever you want to do to your site, we can, we can get that. And in terms of marketing, uh, what sort of reports do you, I want to, I want to dive into this a little bit. Uh, what sort of reports do you present them with or, or signs um, that you, that you look for when you engage a client? I guess really what I'm looking for um, when, when I engage a client is, is one, are they ready for what they're asking for? Um, so a lot of clients will be like, I want to be busy. Okay, we can make you busy. And then I can literally map out in a year, I'm going to be pushing this much new new business through your door. Can you handle 100 new, 100 new clients a month uh, with your candle business? I sure can't. <laughs> or I sure can is the, is the response at that point. Um, and so a lot of times um, clients think they're ready for unprecedented growth too. Um, and, and, and then they have to take a pause and they, and they call us and they, and this is good. I love this feedback. AJ, we need to slow down a little bit. I can't actually, you know, um, sustain the growth. I need to look after the new hundred clients I've got here. What do we do about that? And so again, we're not going to change our strategy as far as like publishing and things like that. But what we are going to change is how much, you know, traffic we're specifically driving to that one area. So this may give us an opportunity to focus on a new division of the business or a new idea that the client has that they would like to experiment with. There's all kinds of different um, choices that a, that a client can, can make. Our job is to help the client make the right choices. Um, and so we'll let a client say all day long, this is what I want to do. And we'll, we'll always say, okay, the right answer is always yes, because in, when you're in an online space, we can do what they want to do. Um, it's a matter of cost and it's a matter of strategy. And so even though the answer is yes, when we actually get into, say, the fifth month of, of the campaign, I might decide we're renaming three things on the website based on what we're seeing in our reports. And, and you know, we update the redirection and everything that goes along with that. And then we tell the client. We're no longer saying this on your website. We're now saying this. And they go, well, I, I really liked it when it said my name up there. And it's like, yeah, but nobody's Googling that. So we've decided to actually put in this term related to, you know, roofing, the candle business, whatever your, your area of expertise is, um, that's going to pull in that extra little bit of traffic and, and help you um, carve out your niche. Awesome. 
Well, AJ, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what, where is a good place to find you? Um, thank you so much for having me on the show. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to tell my story. Um, if somebody wants to reach out, we have a few different avenues. If you want to talk to the Animal Food Bank, uh, help at animalfoodbank.ca is our, is our email address. Um, if you want to talk to me specifically, AJ at Rad Websites. Um, and if you, if you want to start a project and are interested in getting a website going, uh, send me a message at sales at Rad Websites. I monitor everything still, so I'll see it regardless of where it gets sent. Uh, but I think those are the, the best ways to reach me right now. Awesome. Thank you so much, AJ. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.